0: Hey, Hawkeye fans! Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register, Tyler Tashman, Des Moines Register. Tyler, uh, lots to talk about today. Uh, Hawkeye football, six and one, ranked. Uh, seems to be a national topic. Um, but uh, hope you're feeling well. I know you're still on the injury shelf, but uh, or, or illness shelf. What do you want to call it? Like, what do you want to describe this as?
1: I don't know. Uh, <laughs>
0: do you, it's not the DL because you're still working, so I don't know. Yeah,
1: I'm I'm fine. I'm I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm basically what I I would I guess I'm on a usual kind of list of just. Are you on a pitch list. count? No, I'm not on. No, pitch. okay. Not, I just said I think there's probably a a usual list I'm on for just my personality and stuff. So. Oh, <laughs> not not related to um, a blank list. OK, yeah. Not not related to any sickness. So OK,
0: well, Kirk, Kirk Ferentz used that word that we're not saying like late in the presser today. And you tweeted it about LaShawn Williams. Oh, I thought that's what you were talking about.
1: Oh,
0: no. OK, not that. Kind Maybe of not. <laughs> OK, OK. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, <laughs> let's uh, let's talk and let's dive into Hawkeye football talk. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, what Kirk Ferentz said about uh, the pecking order at quarterback as we go here. That'll be our second topic. But first, Tyler, uh, you know, the Hawkeyes are 6-1, and but I would say this might be the most banged up they've been all year going into a game. And they're facing a Minnesota team coming off. It's off week. It's bye week, if you will. Uh, Hawkeyes lose Eric All for the season now uh, with a torn ACL on his right knee, uh, YA black, I'm not expecting to play on Saturday after he suffered what looked like a shoulder injury. Probably. It looked like it was that looked like his arm got kind of like slammed or pinned to the turf. And then it was on the Jay Higgins fumble. He kind of like, it was kind of dangling. I don't know if it was right or left. I can't remember, but, um, Anyway, someone said he was in a sling after the game too. So not good for a defensive line that's still waiting for Noah Shannon to come back. Deshaun Lee maybe comes back, but that didn't sound great. TJ Hall definitely out. So you can't lose Cooper DeGene or Jamari Harris. Joe Evans was on a snap count the other day, only played 27. He said like he barely could go. Um, So this is, the D-line is really banged up for starters. Um, let's start there, I guess. <clears throat> D-line, very thin. Might have to have Logan Lee and Aaron Graves go the distance.
1: When this, I guess from a D-line perspective, this is a group that's been kind of – the last two weeks has been gaining some steam. It feels like they broke out against Purdue, against Wisconsin. It was another really good performance. Now they're – Kind of dealing with injuries of their own, but the, the the bye week cannot come fast enough for Iowa. This I mean, this season has just been chaotic from the very beginning, from the gambling stuff where you didn't know who was going to be out or whatever, and then just all the injuries they've had to endure, whether that be Eric All, Luke Lachey, Cade McNamara, uh, Caleb Johnson, uh, Jazz Patterson, a lot of them on the offensive end, also been you know some on the defensive end as well, but. Uh, it's just felt like a chaotic season and, and now coming off this huge win against Wisconsin, you just can't have a letdown against Minnesota. I, I think you just need to get through this game any way possible, which is basically what they've been doing the last, right. yeah. since Kade got hurt basically. So you need to find that blueprint again and then get to the bye week where it feels like you can take a little bit of a breath. Cause it feels mm-hmm. like there's not really been just a, a chance for Iowa to kind of step back and, take a breath since that Penn State loss, where ever since then it just feels like things have kind of been rolling at, you know, 10 times speed. So I think you get past Minnesota however you can. Then you try to use the bye week to kind of reset, get the guys healthy that you can, and move forward from there. But, yeah, the the bye week feels like it can't get here soon enough for Iowa.
0: Yeah, it would be perfect if it was this week and then they get Minnesota after the bye because then you also give more time for Noah Shannon, but that's a different conversation. Yeah, totally agree, Tyler. This is, uh, uh, it's been a high wire act pretty much the last 12 quarters. I mean, think about, you know, Cade McNamara hurt in the first quarter against Michigan State and somehow they've emerged out of that with a three and oh mark. I mean, if you told, either was that when Cade McNamara is, you know, basically you could tell he probably injured his left knee pretty seriously, um, in that moment. And that Iowa would somehow go three and one, like you probably would have said, Oh wow. Deacon Hill probably lit it up on, you know, uh, no, no, he did not. So, um, uh, yeah, very crazy. Uh, yeah, let's, let's stick with the D line. I know I'm kind of burying the lead here with tight end, but, uh, it, you know, let's start with the healthy guys. Ethan herkett healthy. Deontay Craig, healthy. Kirk Ferentz saying maybe he could slide inside a little bit. Um, Deontay could, that he's done that before. Obviously, that's what they did with Lucas Van Ness last year, where he flexed inside and out. Maybe they need Deontay Craig to play some inside snaps this week, uh, which would elevate herkett elevate Max Llewellyn. Um, you know, Joe Evans, I mean, he... He, he said he had an injury flare up. Like I think something that had been bothering him, like really flared up out of the Purdue game. And so he didn't practice last week it was a game time decision at Wisconsin did play, but I, I didn't get a real sense of how close to full health he is, but he's another guy that needs that off week. Same with Mason Richmond. I'm, I know I'm flipping around here, but that's a guy that, that's clearly playing through, you know, the calf bruise that he suffered in practice a few weeks ago at at uh, the hands of Bo Stevens' knee, and so everybody's just trying to get through this game, and so uh, it's it's dicey. Um, Logan Lee, Aaron Graves, Jeremiah Pittman would be their third D-tackle, I'm assuming. I just don't think, I would be shocked if YA Black plays. Um, sounds like maybe he's, uh, he would be able to come back for Northwestern at least, so yeah, I think they just need to get him through this one uh without him. Uh Kirk Ferrance didn't rule him out, but uh we be surprised if he plays. So uh, that's pretty much it on the D line. I mean maybe we see Ontario Thompson, you
1: know, or, could I'll, be I'll say maybe maybe too Brian Allen. We I mean he was yeah. a guy that Yeah, yeah. Depending on how things are reshuffled, he, he played really well in that kid's day at Kinnick and Kirk Ferrance kind of downplayed it a little bit, saying that, you know, the lights are bright, you know, he shows up. But with the with the guys that are out, if they reshuffle, maybe he's a he's a guy that gets some action.
0: Yeah, I like that. Uh, good, good call there. And then, yeah, in the secondary, all the starters look great. So as long as you don't get any uh, injuries there, you're good. Uh, beyond that, uh, Cohen Entringer was actually the kind of their dime guy at Wisconsin for a handful of snaps. Uh, you know, with Deshaun Lee and TJ Hall out, so hopefully Lee. I, I, I'm guessing that I was hoping like Lee can maybe be that the you know kind of in that emergency. Situation, sort of like Nick DeYoung was this past week, could have played, uh, didn't. Uh, they went the whole way with the old line but uh, maybe that's the type of thing we're thinking about here. But let's flip to tight end now, Tyler, uh, because the injuries there, you know, about as bad as you possibly can imagine. Eric, off of the season, Luke Lachey, uh, maybe back for a bowl game. That was something they said on the broadcast. I checked into it. Yes, uh, his his doctors say he he should be back in December if all goes well. Uh, not December 2nd, I don't think, (laughs) for a potential Big Ten title game, but uh, a bowl game, which would be awesome. I mean, and and it's cool that Luke Lachey is shooting for that because, you know, if I was playing, let's say, I don't know, let's say I was like 10-3 and and playing in the Outback Bowl or something, you know, that would be a nice lift to have him back for that game, you know. So, uh, but Eric All obviously out. Steve Stylianos becomes your first tight end. Uh, crazy since he played 17 total snaps last year, and then Addison Estrango does he play this week? It sounds like he had a light practice today. I think that would be huge if he could come back this week, uh, and here we are relying on you know Addison Ostrenga to help save the day on offense. That's that's just where we are.
1: And I t- I just I feel for Eric all first and foremost because. Just before that game, when when we talked to him on Zoom, he was talking about how he had he had back surgery last season that kept him out for a lot of the year, and he was saying that like he could barely he couldn't even sit in a chair because the the back pain was so bad. And then for him to be able to come off of that, he obviously transfers from Michigan to Iowa, but to be able to have the season that he had had up to that point was remarkable, and, and to see him go down with with that injury was was tough to see. Um, but now I'm interested to see what that dynamic is because we know how much Iowa relies on the tight ends and specifically on Eric Hall and uh, Luke Lachey before now they've both gotten hurt but does that change the dynamic of Deacon Hill throwing to them is he still going to rely heavily on them even though they're not as established I mean you know will we see the receivers get more involved because I think we've talked about so much about the receivers and their involvement. And now I feel like that's even more important because when you're down so thin in your depth and tight ends, there's, there's only so many tight ends you can throw to the wide receivers group is healthy and capable. I yeah, think. They're healthy. It, it, they've been <laughs> hampered one by just not getting opportunities, but also not taking advantage of it when they do get right. their opportunities. So we, I'm, like I said, it's been a, you know, a continuing storyline of what does the wide receiver group look like, but here's just a massive opportunity for them to really help out the offense.
0: Yeah, credit to Seth Anderson. He showed up today for availability to speak for the wide receivers. And, you know, he always has a smile on his face, but you could tell, you know, it was, uh, and, you know, said the company line about, you know, doing what it takes to win and whatnot. But you can tell it's, you know, you know, basically said we can't, we can only go up from here is, is what he said. And I put that in my article. So he's right, obviously. I mean, Iowa has two wide receiver catches for 13 yards over the past two weeks. So, yeah, Deacon Hill um, probably going to have to lean in that direction. Uh, and then the great news is, if there is any great news, is that the running back room is as healthy as it's been now in a, since week two because Jazz Patterson practicing fully in addition to Caleb Johnson – uh, who you know obviously came back against Purdue, and then LeSean Williams. I mean, moves to the one line at running back. And uh, I know you wrote about him today, Tyler. But he looks, he sounds like a number one running back. He's he's so confident. He's like you know uh, talking about today, like how you know they want to make it hard for opponents to tackle them and kind of you know give out their own punishment. And so that's how he runs, and that's how it looked like he ran
1: Saturday at Wisconsin. And and talk about just like the excitement about the future of that room because Caleb Johnson is young, Jazz Patterson is young, and we saw what he could do in that Iowa State game, but he's dealt with injuries. Then also Kamari Moulton and, and Terrell Washington Jr., two guys that have kind of been thrown into the mix really early as true freshmen. Getting some meaningful experience that probably we didn't expect them necessarily to get. But Kamari Mullen had two touchdowns against Western Michigan. He looks like a guy that's capable. So it's not even of just like right now, I was probably their strong one of their or definitely their strongest group on the offense is their running back room, but also just like looking forward into the future, it looks bright for what a collective, they have a lot of depth, they have a lot of talent, guys that can do different things. So when you look into the future about what, you know, can we grasp at straws of what to be excited for about Iowa's offense in the future, which is fleeting at this moment, but the the running back room is something to be excited about, I think.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And especially building off 200 yard game at Wisconsin. And if you take out the sacks, I mean, they, on called runs, they, they rush for, you know, over 220 yards the other day. So, um, we'll get to some of PJ Flex' comments about Iowa's run games. I think in our third segment. But let's talk about quarterbacks now, Tyler. I know you were streaming Kirk Ferentz's presser today, and uh, obviously, I was there as well. Um, what did you make of what he said about the questions regarding Deacon Hill and Joe Lavis?
1: I don't. Well, first, I'll say I don't know if people will like to hear this, but when you have a young guy like Deacon Hill, I think there's a a certain benefit that you have when you give him stability and that saying that you're going to be the guy and that he's not constantly looking over his shoulder and feeling like every mistake he makes here or there, uh, you know, he might be pulled. I think there's a benefit in that, and it's pretty clear that that's the strategy I was going with of saying Deacon is the guy, we're not changing from that. On the other side of things, when you have a passing, you know, completion percentage in the thirties like he does, there's a real argument for hey, what could Joe Labus give us? And I think that we've seen enough of Deacon Hill to at least make that a conversation of what well, what would a Joe Labus led offense look like. It doesn't seem like Kirk Ferentz is going away from Deacon Hill though. That just seems kind of like what he is confident in right now. One thing I would like to see is We've we see we've seen Deacon Hill's big arm, but it, it felt like a lot of the passes against Wisconsin were like, if they were caught, they were like no gain or like one one yard gain or just like really short, like at least try to maybe get some intermediate passes, ones that can get you eight yards and make it a second and short or get a first down. Because some of the passing plays that they've been doing, even if they're caught, there was one that Nico Ragini dropped, but even if he had caught it, he I mean, it would have been a gain of zero or one. Um, you gotta at least go a little bit more vertical, and and if if defenses are gonna be stacking the box, which is what Minnesota will probably d- be doing, and it's smart on them for probably any team the rest of the season to try to stop Iowa uh, in the run is make Deacon Hill beat you. But if that's gonna be the case, I think Deacon Hill, he can he can determine the ceiling of this team because I think. Right now, they are what they are, and that's scraping by because of really good defense and special teams. Uh, And they can still make it to the Big Ten Championship by doing that. But if they want to take the next step and, like, kind of raise their level as a team, I think Deacon Hill is the one that will decide that.
0: Yeah, re-watching the game, a couple things stood out. Number one, uh, Deacon continues to be better off play action, not – sitting in the pocket um so i think if they could get a back that would help in the bootleg game a is a little bit more athletic you know former baseball player uh than Stilianos. i mean right now they really don't have like you know, losing all really hurts in that regard because you had two athletic tight ends and lache and all now you're down to kind of the grinders a is the closest thing they've got to an athletic guy so hopefully he can come back and give them some of that bootleg game that they were missing um, uh, with McNamara even because he couldn't move. And then, um, you know, number two, yeah, they they just didn't th- – they, they, t- they didn't give up on Deacon Hill. They just went into the, hey, we're not going to commit any turnovers the rest of the game against Wisconsin. The only way we get beat is if we turn it over. That was – you know, I know this is your first year on the beat, Tyler, but we've seen this time and time again with Kirk. They will, they will lockbox these leads. They will do everything in their power to not give the game away, and they're happy to pin it on the defense and on their punter. And that's exactly what they did the other day. So it's—I don't think they didn't trust Deacon Hill. I just think they just took every precaution necessary to uh, protect that lead. So. I don't. I don't want to say they're going to be way better in the passing game this week, but I feel like I feel like there's going to be. I think you're going to see something in the passing game this week. Minnesota's defense has not been great, and they're going. Like you said, they're going to have to throw the ball. They're going to have to prove that they can throw the ball to the wide receivers. And if we're talking about who who that could be, I gotta think it's probably. I think Nico Reggini is still your best bet. He's the. He's a veteran. Uh, he can. He can almost be like a tight end, you know, in the slot, cutting across the middle, making some tough catches. So I I think that that's probably the way to go. Uh, here, Let me read the comment f- from Kirk Ferentz today. Um, there's a couple questions surrounding this. But uh, uh, Scott, Dr. Burn asked, uh, how far would you say that Joe Labus, blah, 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 the separation is between the two of Hill and Labus? So uh, Kirk said this. I don't know that I want to put a gauge on it. Game action determines everything. Eventually, I'll say this. I know that discussion floated out there last year. I hate to say this in a negative way, but I think we all saw when Petrus got knocked out, we saw maybe why we were playing Petrus. So basically said, as I wrote in my column, kind of be careful what you wish for. Like they're the ones that see practice. They they believe that Deacon Hill still gives them the best chance to win. And uh, that was the case with with Petrus last year. You know, Padilla comes into the Ohio State game, fumbles his first snap, throws an interception two snaps later. Um, you know, was not basically benching the starter instantly backfired. Um, but I understand the argument of wanting to see what what Joe has in store too. So, what do you what do you make of those comments that I just read?
1: I think it's interesting because the the kind of unknown variable in all this is like practice like we don't see what happens behind those closed doors um so maybe Deacon Hill looks you know leaps and bounds better than Joe Labus you know we don't we don't know we haven't really seen Joe Labus at all since that uh ball game uh no I, I think I I agree that your you know your assessment of uh what Iowa needed to do against Wisconsin on the road that hey They don't want Deacon Hill to make mistakes. They're going to trust the run, all that. But my question becomes more of like moving forward, if teams put, you know, nine guys in the box or however it may be, and they're going to sell out to stop the run, they're going to say, if someone's going to beat us, it's going to be Deacon Hill. Is he going to be able to beat them? You know, because I don't know if we've seen enough. Like there's been small glimpses of it. But if I were a defense, that's what I – if I was a D coordinator, that's what I would do against Iowa. I would say LaShawn Williams and Caleb Johnson and Jazz Patterson are not going to beat us no matter what. Let's have this guy that has only started a handful of games in college that has not been accurate, that has not been efficient. Let's make him beat us. And then if he does, that's how it is. But I feel like that's sort of – and that also goes into, like I was saying, – uh. You can start – the offense kind of can start playing off each other if Deacon at least shows more of a – if he shows he can do it on a more consistent basis. He doesn't need to be slinging the ball around the field 40 times, but if he can do it on a more consistent basis, then that's going to gonna make defenses, defenses stay honest. That will open up running game, play action, all that. So I think it, it's not about being great. It's just about – it's about showing – being great in small doses. So the offense or the defense knows that it's possible.
0: We will definitely get into the Minnesota matchup in our Hawk Central radio show on Wednesday night for sure. But let's transition now uh off your comments there, Tyler, into what PJ Fleck had to say about exactly that stacking the box against Iowa and what Iowa does that produces wins PJ Fleck. zero and seven. All time against Kirk Ferentz, zero one at Western Michigan, zero six at Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota has lost in very painful, close ways under Fleck, lost by seven in 2017 in their first matchup, 17 to 10 at Kinnick, and then of course 2019 they come in here unbeaten. Iowa beats them 23 to 19. Two years ago they came into Kinnick and basically. Uh, doubled Iowa in yardage, I think. And uh, but Iowa won that game somehow 27 to twenty-two. And then of course last year, the 13 to 10 win, uh, where Iowa somehow pulled that one out of thin air, uh, lost Sam Laporta in that game. Uh, you know, <laughs> speaking of tight end injuries, and uh Jack Campbell and company uh, created two fourth quarter turnovers to win, and Moe Ibrahim was running crazy on them. So Iowa has found a way. Here's what PJ Flex said about Iowa, he got to watch the Wisconsin game. Minnesota was on bye last week, and he, uh, he kind of was marveling at a couple things. Uh, the system that Iowa runs um, basically said uh, it's about how you go through a game and go win games based on your formula to win games, and I don't think there's a team that does it better than Iowa. They understand who they are more than most teams. They stick to who they are to who they are more than most teams, and they beat you in every area. And then later, talking about the run game, uh, I, th- I felt like this was a good example for people to watch football to understand. Because you see the loaded boxes, but you also see Iowa with you know, double tight ends and maybe even a third tight end or a fullback. And Fleck explaining that every time you add bodies to the line of scrimmage, you're adding gaps through which Iowa can run the football. And here's what he said about trying to defend that uh, that type of running attack, which Wisconsin got burned by with an 82-yard run by LeSean Williams. Purdue got burned by, 67-yard run, Caleb Johnson. Iowa State, 59-yard run, Jazzy and Patterson. It, the formula was basically the same every time. It was loaded box, guy explodes through, all of a sudden, wide open space, right? He says this, they make you fit it perfectly every single time because the backs are really patient. You fit the gap and your eyes get in the wrong spot one time. They'll add a lot of people where every gap matters. And then they'll do some movements, some shifts, some motions. You do that and one guy gets his eyes out of the gap. It's a touchdown because you're not going to sit there and play them and cover two. You've got to get people down in the box to be in those gaps or you're not going to be or you're going to be giving up eight or nine yards of carry. That's when some guy doesn't have his eyes in the right spot and you take the cheese somewhere and it's coming out for 70 and they just do it over and over and over and over and over. And eventually their defense is so good that even if they score one touchdown, that's going to be good enough to beat you. What do you make of those comments?
1: Yeah. It sounds like a guy that's Owen seven against Iowa. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean I, that I think that's a good breakdown and it's interesting that Minnesota is coming off of a bye because it feels like sort of the opposite end of where Iowa is. You have like a really depleted team that could use it badly and then Minnesota coming off of it. But, um, yeah, I, I think that's a, a good breakdown. And, and to be able to kind of link what uh, Jazz Patterson, the you know, the run against. Iowa State, but I think it also speaks to Iowa's offensive line in that the last two games they've strung together really strong performances. And, you know, throughout up to that point in the season, it felt like inconsistent, you know, good performances where they played really well against Western Michigan and and then not well against Penn State, who's a really good defense. But uh, to string together uh, what they've done against Purdue and then against Wisconsin, and and Wisconsin, a team that prides themselves – uh, like Iowa on, you know, toughness and physicality to be able to clearly be sort of the the more physical and tough team, I think was pretty telling. So two uh, performances really good you strung together in a row from the O-line. It feels like they can gain confidence from kind of those tangible uh, successes that they've seen. And so, you know, I, it feels like them moving in the right direction, uh, obviously is a big deal, but also just because of the uncertainty at quarterback to be able to lean on that run game more is, is really big.
0: Yeah. I got a chance to talk to Logan Jones today as well. He's always uh, really insightful, uh, really honest and uh, yeah, they're uh, I, fe- I feel like they're feeling pretty confident right now. I mean, they've, they've taken what happened at Penn state and turned it into incremental progress. And that's kind of what Kirk Ferentz wanted to see. I thought Jones had a, a pretty good game the other day. Rusty Feth had a his probably his best game as a Hawkeye. Um, you know, Connor Colby continues to probably be their best lineman, uh, at right guard. And then, uh, Jannings Dunker, you know, he's been pretty solid out there. I know Mason's struggling through that, through that injury. Hopefully he can get healthy after the bye week. Uh, but obviously they're going to have to gut, gut through this one a little bit. Uh, I kind of, I feel like Iowa fans, uh, we'll talk about this probably more, uh, on the show tomorrow. I feel like there's more coming around on this team, uh, kind of digging into defending this team rather than bashing the team so i think that that's um, there's still plenty of the bashing out there just with the offense where it is but uh, i kind of expect to see a pretty electric atmosphere saturday at Kinnock. it's a stripe out it's probably going to be dark uh as the second half progresses uh this is a rival rivalry game and uh their team needs to find a way and i think the crowd's going to have to help uh, if i was going to win this game
1: The the crazy thing to think about right now, and and this is getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but like there's a realistic, Iowa has a realistic path to the college football playoff, which given everything they've endured this season is, is kind of wild to think about. And this is not saying that that's going to happen or there's, I mean, the the chances of it are really slim, but I was put itself in position to at least kind of continue to make its way into that conversation because they have one loss, their schedule is is not difficult at all. They can definitely, they're going to have to fight their way through the rest of the regular season. But if they win out in the regular season, which all, again is not a foregone conclusion, then you get to the Big Ten championship and you're going to be playing Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State. And the likelihood of beating one of those three teams is not high. But again, who knows what you know? We did not expect Iowa to look like this when we started the season. So who knows what they'll look like? In come December from you know between now and December, um, anything can happen in that game, and you know that would kind of be like a play into the playoff, I guess, if Iowa still only has one loss. But I don't know, it's just given everything that's gone on this season, it's just like kind of been a roller coaster. The fact that Iowa is where it is, and like we can even kind of bring that up, I think is kind of crazy.
0: Yeah, it is, it's very, very far fetched, but uh, but definitely, um, yeah, it's plausible Iowa could win out, but it's as we talked about on our post game pod, it's very, po- it's not very possible, but it is possible they lose out as well. So every one of these games is going to be a struggle. I mean, I th- Iowa opened I think as a four point favorite against you know a three and three Minnesota team at home, so that tells you that there's not a lot, still not a lot of respect out there for Iowa, uh, understandably so with the statistics, but obviously this team continues to find a way. And uh, I think after our conversation, Tyler, I'm more reinforced that uh, this game means a ton, huge a, a ton because uh, you do get that finally chance to breathe after this. Uh, this is, as Kirk Ferentz said, an eight-game season, and then it's a four-game season, and you think you're going to get healthier. You're not going to be healthy, but you're going to get healthier, and you're probably going to get Noah Shannon back for that Northwestern game. That's a perfect game to come back to, a team you can beat, uh, and then you come home for two before you go to Nebraska. So um, the schedule sets up really nicely, but not this week. This is the one they got to win somehow.
1: And was it? Because I, I don't think I'm imagining. Is that Northwestern beat Minnesota, right? Yep. Yeah. So I mean, this is obviously a Minnesota team that is, I mean, beatable to say the least. But yeah, this right. is this is one that. Uh, yeah, I think they just gotta <laughs> do what they have done the last since Kate got hurt against Michigan State, and then you can uh, go into the bye.
0: Absolutely, uh, good show, Tyler Tashman. Looking forward to talking to you tomorrow on our Hawk Central Radio Show, and of course we'll talk to you from Kenny Stadium Saturday night with another uh, YouTube post game pod. Uh, will the Hawkeyes be seven and one? Uh, that is very crazy to think about, given all the injuries we discussed for Tyler Tashman. This is Chad Lysico of the Des Moines Register saying so long and talk to you soon.